1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today, we will be talking about standards and what it means for language service companies to comply and be certified. I'm sure you have heard about ISO, ASTM and other standards bodies, and we will try to add context about them and the standards they issue in our conversation with Lee Turgut. Lee Turgut is a quality and compliance professional with 15 years of experience in the translation industry with a lifelong passion for languages. She is currently the Quality and Compliance Director for CQ Fluency, and she is based in Austin, Texas. She began her career as part-time freelance translator and interpreter for the community where she taught full-time. Lee launched into translation full-time in 2011 by joining the ranks of one of the largest global language services providers. There she gained experience in all aspects of localization, workflow, and spearheaded the quality control department before finding her niche in foreseeably in quality system management and company compliance. Lee is passionate about driving bottom-line quality across the board and supporting processes that help make that happen. Lee is a graduate of the University of Texas at Austin with a bachelor's in linguistics and a master's in romance linguistics. She is a certified internal auditor and is a founding member and a former social media manager for the Women in Localization Texas chapter. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk podcast, Lee. How have you been?
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been well. Um, thanks for having me back. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, I've been well. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm very well. Can't complain. Thank you so much. Well, uh, the last uh, time we had this interview, uh, it went very well. I mean, it was eye opening in terms of quality and everything we talked about. Um, but let's let's actually reset things because there might be a lot of new people listening to this podcast for the first time. Uh, why don't you just give them a brief introduction about yourself and what you do?
2: Sure. Um, so, I'm, I'm Lee Turgut. Um, I'm the Director of Quality and Compliance at a company called CQ Fluency. Um, right. If you've not heard of us, we're a mid-sized uh, translation or language service provider, um, but we specialize in language services mostly for healthcare, um, healthcare insurance, and life sciences. Um, so, I've been in the localization industry full-time about 11 years, I would say. Um, I started off as a um, a freelancer, a freelance translator. That's how I got my, my feet wet. And then I moved into translation full time. And, um, and yeah, it just sort of organically uh, took off from there. I moved into quality and uh, quality control and and now uh, quality assurance management. So, um, but as the director of quality and compliance, I guess what that means is I oversee the company's uh, quality uh, management system or what we call QMS. Um, so, I make sure the company stays certified to all of our standards. Um, that's the quality part. Uh, the compliance Part is that I also make sure that we meet all of our uh, regulatory requirements um, and I, you know, stuff like HIPAA uh, for the healthcare industry, uh, GDPR for, for Europe, and, um, you know, take care of data security and, um, and privacy requirements. So so that's it in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> you do quite a few things. And I think each one of those areas uh, of expertise requires its own podcast interview. So <laughs> looking forward to having you discuss more about things like GDPR and so forth. But what in particular keeps you busy these days, Lee? Um, what are you working on?
2: well um it's kind of an exciting time uh we've experienced some some rapid growth at cq fluency um so my job is just to make sure that the qmf um can scale up with the company at the same time uh Great. so i'm just making sure you know all of our processes are documented all the new people are getting trained and uh focusing on continual improvement and stuff like that so so just helping the company grow basically
1: <laughs> well it's been uh quite a while since we last spoke but uh, the topic of pandemic always comes up and it's since 2020 uh, you know, things. There has been a new normal, if you will. How is everything going uh, with with your organization and with you personally in terms of your role? Do you still see people working conservatively in terms of being in the office? How, how are things there, just to get a, an idea?
2: Um, I think that, well, for me personally, um, I was a remote worker pre-pandemic. Um, so I'm I'm based in Texas and uh, my company headquarters are in New Jersey. Um, but um, yes, the, the company has been conservative in terms of um, the return to work. Um, so there's they implemented the um, like a hybrid, Uh, a part-time schedule so that not all of the employees are in the office at the same time so they come in on you know key days if they need to to meet or you know and and stagger stagger the times and days that people are in the office
1: today i have invited you Lee, to speak about standards uh, a topic that people talk about more than they explain it and and how lsps get certified and so forth like in conferences we hear about this a lot uh, since this is an area of your expertise uh, I, I would like you to cover you know everything for, for example what it means for a language company to be certified uh, let's take a high-level bird's-eye view of uh, this this specific topic uh, in terms of uh, your perspective of the industry when it comes to standards and best practices uh, please share your thoughts
2: it's it's rare it's true it's rare to get the opportunity to talk about standards i i don't know if it's like the a super you know uh engaging or you know passionate topic that people have but um but you know i say that with a bit of a sarcasm um but what it means if your lsp is certified to a standard um it means that you have a framework in place um to that ensure that um your product or your service is going to be consistent and the the quality of your output is going to be consistent. That's what it's for. Um, I can start sort of with the basics. Um, There are just many, many organizations in the world that develop and write these standards, what we call standards. They're technical or non-technical, and they all have the really important goal of creating uniformity um, within the industry and across industries Um, and best practices, like you said. Um, So, it's, to give us a, a baseline for services or product specifications, um, protocols, and, and things like that. Um, so that's what they, yeah, that's what they do now. Uh, I guess more importantly, they they came about because uh, around uh, after World War II, they came about um, with a, for a need for safety um, in manufacturing um, on the factory floor, like, you know, people getting uh, injured or, you know, in the factories and things like that. So, um, there was a a marked need for safety in manufacturing, so that's how they came up with um, the initial standards um, to, I guess, prevent people from blowing themselves up, Uh, equipment misuse and stuff like that. Um, The most well-known standards body is ISO, Um, so I'll talk about their standards since that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, but others that you may have heard of are um, ASTM is one. Um, so that's the American Society for Testing and Materials. Um, there's ANSI, which is the American National Standards Institute. Um, and another one that's pretty common is the CEN. The so that's the, the European Committee for, for Standardization. Um, you might see these acronyms on products. So uh, UL is one that you'll you'll see on products sometimes. Um, some standards bodies are regional. Uh, some are global. Some are industry specific, um, like for engineering or boating or agriculture they have they have something for everything um but uh so back to iso uh that's the international organization for standardization um so you're probably thinking if the acronym is um you know it shouldn't probably be like ios uh if it's yeah international organization for standardization so i don't know if maybe Apple would have a problem with that but um, it's actually not it's not an acronym so um, it's derived from the Greek word um, "isos," which means equal Um, and the the reason that that's important is because no matter what country you're in um, it's going to be referred to as ISO they're not going to you know translate it and have a different acronym and I guess that's really key because um, Goal of the organization uh, is really to be global and to sort of like transcend borders. Um, so the ISO name and logo are trademarks. They're actually, there's only, there's, there's over 24,000 ISO standards. It's kind of uh, overwhelming uh, but the the ones I'm well versed in or familiar with are the standards that relate to language services so I can I can talk a bit about those today
1: we have talked about quality in the past and and this is an area of expertise for you you manage quality in your day-to-day job what does standards do for an organization um, what what can an LSP expect or uh, just a generic company building standards into their practice uh, what what can they expect what does it do for them
0: I
2: think that a standard uh, if you if you're certified to a standard it signals to your customers that they can have confidence in your service or your product um, because you have this framework in place um, and this framework has a goal of um, customer focus um, having a continuous cycle of um, self-evaluation, plans for corrective action, um, improvement of your operations and things like that. One thing to note is that all the ISO standards can kind of work together. They're all similarly structured um, and they have some overlap. So if you already have one ISO standard under your belt, say 9001, um, you'll find it easier to acquire another one um, due to the sort of like harmonized structure that they have. Um, For me personally, as a quality rep for my company, um, having an ISO cert um, saves me time. When customers want to come and audit us um, or they want to inquire about our service capabilities, um, oftentimes they'll forego like a long audit or a questionnaire if we can just present the certificate um, because that, that gives them a certain level of assurance um, that we have. We have things in place that they're looking for um and it helps us gain new customers as well in an rfp situation so um yeah just being able to show that we have these credentials in place
1: is there a marketing angle to this as well
2: i think it can help i mean it's something that uh we display on our website and at most companies who are certified will put the logo on their website as well so um and it's, it's something that I think some customers do look for.
1: There are many standard organizations uh, you mentioned earlier, um, such as ISO. There's the ASTM, and you know uh, there are ones for that that deal with the specific manufacturing standards and so forth. Give us some some highlights in terms of what do each of these standard bodies do and what their role is. Do they focus on a specific practices within specific industries, or there are standards that could be a- applied across the board?
2: Uh, so ISO as um, offers standards for every single industry out there. Um, you mentioned ASTM before. Um, that's another standards organization that that has standards that we use. I think they're they're nonprofit, but. Um, you can't actually become certified to ASTM. Um, You can incorporate ASTM into your methodologies, you can reference it, you can be compliant, but you can't become certified. So I'd say that's one of the main differences between ASTM and ISO.
1: Let's talk about uh, accrediting organizations as well as uh, audit firms, because one checks what you do, and the other one issues a certificate. Can you give some detailed uh, differences in terms of what do they do, who they are, and how do they apply to language industry?
2: Um, yeah, you said it. ISO doesn't certify you. Um, they can't. I don't know if that would be like a conflict of interest or something, but um, they only write the standard. They develop it. Um, it's a it's a group of representatives from, you know, hundreds of member countries um, who, who, Um, contribute to writing these standards uh, to make them uh, international, Um, but in order to get um, certified, you have to go through a registrar or an accrediting organization. Uh, There are tons of these like literally (laughs) hundreds. Um, Some of the best uh, known ones in our industry, I would say, are BSI, uh, the British Standards Institute, uh, TUV Sud out of Germany, uh, Bureau Veritas from France, um, and there's there's probably more that, that I'm forgetting. But um, your selection of registrar will really vary uh, depending on what industry you're in, what standard you need to certify to, because they don't all offer the same um Certifications. Uh, it's going to depend on your location as well. These these organizations can help you prepare for certification, and then and then audit you to become certified, and then maintain it. Um, so to maintain certification, you have to be audited um, every year. There's, there's two types of audits to maintain certification. There's surveillance audits and recertification audits. Um, generally, a surveillance audit is less involved. It maybe doesn't um, look at every single department or process or vertical. It just sort of, you know, uh, does a sample. And then a recertification audit is more comprehensive. And yeah, so for ISO 9001, the recertification audits every two years if you get a finding or findings it doesn't mean that you automatically will have your cert revoked uh, it just means that you have to show improvement or corrective action the following year you have to fix it basically um, you can lose your certification if a registrar concludes that your QMS is consistently failing um, to meet the requirements or if you just stop meeting the requirements you stop getting audited you can lose your cert
1: going back to basically and there are several types of standards as you just mentioned i would like you to elaborate if possible about each one and what it means for uh, the fact in terms of relevance for our industry in practice like we've got translation services that we offer interpreting, transcription and machine translation, all kinds of stuff related to languages. Which ones are the prominent ones uh, that you would like to see people certified for? Um,
2: yeah, you, you hit on, on a couple of those uh, main ones for our industry. Um, so I think the one that everyone has heard of or is one of the most prominent ones, which is actually not industry specific is this ISO 9001. Um, So it's it's industry agnostic. Um, It's just a general quality management standard. Um, So regardless of what your company does, uh, you can apply or you can apply this framework to your operations. Um, It was initially made for manufacturing, like I mentioned earlier. Um, My so I have a a mentor who says that the, the single biggest missed opportunity um for 9001 was calling it a quality standard instead of a business standard um because it's it's not really as much about quality as it is about general business operations like just how how to run a business so uh it just ensures you know Management involvement from the top down. You keep a, a focus on your customers. You make sure you, you know, you respond to customer complaints and resolve their issues. And then you're just sort of looking at your process efficiencies and how you can improve. So it's just a really good blueprint for running a business. So that's that's 9001. Um, but in terms of the ones for our industry specifically, so the most prominent one would be ISO 17100. That's the main standard for the translation industry. Um, so it defines specifically um, qualifications for translators, editors, reviewers, uh, even project managers, um, and it defines the minimum standards for workflows. Um, So something to note, that one's specifically for translation and not interpretation. There is an interpretation one though, so it's one eight eight four one. So this is the basic standards for interpretation services. Um, there's actually a ton of interpretation standards. Um, there's you know there's one for community interpreting, legal interpreting, and so on. Um, there's a brand new one that came out this year um, called ISO two three one five five, and that one is specifically for conference interpreting. So it's it's pretty neat to see them uh, come out with Um, you know, these standards. Other ones I've seen in the industry, well, since you're in Canada, you're probably familiar with um, this uh, CGSB Um, 131.10. So, that one, yeah, that one's specific for for Canadian companies. Um, It's a national standard uh, to certify translation service providers. Um, And I think the objective of that one was to kind of level the the playing field um, and then, you know, make sure that clients or purchasers of translation services are you know how are are better protected 18587 is relatively new so that's well 2017 i say new um but that is um you know super relevant right now given how our industry is changing um so this one uh sets the uh requirements for post-editing of machine translation um so that's, that's a, another one that's gaining a lot of, of popularity right now. Um, let's see, oh, another new one <laughs> that uh, came out in 2021 is ISO 12616. I feel like this one is, is lesser known, but these are this one is a standard for best practices for terminologists. Um, so, you know, how to create a glossary or a term base, um, research and, and maintain it. Uh, There's just one last one that I want to mention, which is not really a translation standard at all, but if you work with um, highly regulated companies such as medical device companies, oftentimes those companies will seek for you to have ISO 13485, uh, which is the general standard for for medical device companies to maintain their quality management system uh, for the manufacturer of medical devices. And by medical devices, I mean, you know, Pacemakers, artificial joints, implants, um, you know, blood pressure monitors, and things like that. Um, the reason that they value translation service providers that have that standard is because um, the stakes are really high. Um, you you need your translation to be highly regulated. Um, you don't want the instructions for some you know, in vitro diagnostic tool uh, to be incorrectly translated and cause, you know, loss of life or something like that. Um, so, so yeah, the, st- the stakes are high. Um, the translation process is, is vital um, to ensure that the, the devices are uh, safe for their intended purpose.
0: This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human in the loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more.
1: Compliance with these standards uh, give you some level of confidence that certain steps uh, were followed uh, as audited basically, and, and the right type of people and qualifications were used. But at the end of the day, realistically, um, what does it mean? Does it mean that a, a, a translation that comes out of an organization that's certified or uh, the translations process is certified, it is actually in real world better than a non-certified standard, or that that comes down to, you know, actually whether you meet the checklist And you still put the right effort because translation is a very subjective type of output.
2: Yeah, that's that is true. Um, I think it's it's definitely a matter of um, how well you apply and use the standards. So it's not to say that the output from a company that doesn't have a certification is going to be inferior to one that does. It's just globally overall, uh, the chances of there being consistent quality are higher. Um, if you have a standard in place with processes that interact well um, and and work well together.
1: Lee, what does that mean for people doing work in an organization? If you are, if your organization is ISO 17100 certified, uh, if you're an LSB, how should the management, uh, project managers, even your uh, freelance colleagues and others carry out their work? Is there a difference?
2: I think the main difference is that they should know how they fit into the quality picture, um, how they contribute to quality, what their role is. Um, They should definitely know the company's quality objectives, um, because you know that's it's a requirement to to have quality objectives, to have something to work towards. Um, It also means that each department will have. Standard operating procedures to follow. Um, so that's kind of the main thing is ensuring that you know the processes and the workflows and and you follow them. Um, and also everybody in the organization can take the opportunity to suggest improvements um, or you know notice things about processes that are you know that could be optimized um, and anyone can have a hand in helping streamline processes
1: you mentioned i saw 9001 and and this is something that people see everywhere in the media people you know logos from different organizations and different industries and so forth mm-hmm. These are generic standards that can be applied, as you mentioned, to any organization. Yep. And uh, that also applies to our industry or basically our businesses. Uh, but I, I'm curious to know uh, what are the advantages or disadvantages for LSPs specifically to get certified against these generic standards?
2: I think the the advantage is it, it kind of just sets um, a baseline. And i do believe um, like i said that there's some some overlap um so that having iso 9001 in place uh would make it much easier for you to then certify to 17100 um, because they're meant to work together um there are a few other um generic standards um that are useful um and they get also give um customers a certain degree of um confidence I suppose um, and one major one is um, ISO 27001 uh, which is an information security standard um, and I see that um, also across tons of industries uh, customers want to know that their their data is secure um, so so that one yeah it's also industry agnostic um, so and it's not just for information security companies, so um, it's sort of like a to have a security management uh, system in place. So uh, banks will care about that, insurance companies will care about that. Um, so there's a whole family of uh, standards in the the twenty seven thousand um, family uh, range uh, that enable companies to sort of manage security assets. So um, so again, it's just it's depends what your customers care about.
1: Lee, you mentioned earlier, and in even uh, in our previous uh, conversation, you talked about the quality model. I think that's something that you manage in your current work. Uh, A lot of people are confused about what a quality management system or a QMS actually is. I would like you to uh, explain that. And and why is it important for getting certified?
2: The concept of quality, um, I think it rests on its management your quality model is um, and it'll look different for every company but it's focused in on the evaluation of your specific product or your service Um, it's how you determine that you're giving good quality to your customer so um, to take a simple example um, for translation let's pretend that it's you know having no more than one error in a thousand words um, you can achieve that const- consistently because um, uh, you know you know what you have to do to to make sure there are no errors in the end product. You have to have a you know these steps, um, but the efforts required to get to that um, end quality goal uh, can be different um, because the inputs can vary wildly or they can be sporadic. So um, what I mean is. You know, if all things are equal and your translator provides, you know, really good work and your editor is great and your proofer or your QCR is great, then you get that high quality at the end. But what happens if you have a mediocre output from your translator and then your editor spends double the time trying to get the quality up to par and has to touch every single segment um, and then, you know, Due to that, you know, your QCR, you know, has to, to spend that, you know, additional time. Um, so you've lost out on efficiency and budget because you didn't have eyes on the quality output of your first step, or maybe you didn't have a good evaluation of the translator's qualifications or their suitability for the job. So it's really kind of about having a framework in place. To make sure that you you kind of have eyes on everything. It's like all the ingredients that you need for the soup. Um, if you think about volume, for instance, um, you know you all it takes is one massive you know <laughs> millions of words job, or you land one massive customer, and you might start to see. Cracks in your quality model um, just because you, you need a system in place to be able to, to scale up. Um, so, a QMS, uh, a quality management system, is more looking at the overall processes and how they interact together and uh, with each other, how you can be effective, um, how you can do things consistently, how you can mitigate risk. So, that's a really big one um, mitigating risk um, and reduce effort. Um, so you, you you already know that you have to have a process in place to define the roles that you need, uh, the credentials that people need, uh, the work instructions, you know, glossary, spell check, um, so that the product at every step of the way can hit your quality model metrics. Um, and if it doesn't, then the QMS insists that you have corrective, um, corrective actions to get you there.
1: Obviously, you can't just get certified and forget about the standard. You mentioned this earlier. Um, that there are two types of audits and so forth. Uh, Can you explain to us the process, what it takes to become certified? And after that, how do you maintain your certification and basically what that verification process looks like?
2: I do remember we we spoke about this a bit last time and I think my main point was that just because you you go through the motions to get a certification, it doesn't mean that you're home free or that you're off the hook. Um, you don't have instant quality. so you you have to apply it and really use it to its full, potential. Um, When I talk about this, I I wonder if I start to sound like I'm in a cult, like a cult of ISO. Um, But no, uh, don't treat your standard like a burden, like these annoying steps that you have to go through every year, this audit, and then, you know, but really, um, you know, dig deep and see you know where are those tweaks Um, where can we show improvement Uh, where are uh, those efficiency gains that you can make Um, and then how can you uh, communicate uh, what this is and involve your involve everybody in it Um, so and also you know maybe just don't fulfill the minimum of what the standard says maybe there are areas where you can go above and beyond um, one example is um, for um the requirement for a qualified translator is someone with a degree and two years full time experience. Um, so maybe your company is going to require three times or three years full time experience or something like that. Maybe that's something that can, you know, set you apart, I'm not sure. Um, But to maintain it, uh, like I said, you have to be audited every year. Um, Any finding from a previous audit has to be uh, remediated uh, or corrected or improved upon by the next audit. Um, And above that, I guess auditors are going to look at how your quality system is maturing, um, how you're seeking to innovate and improve.
1: Most of us, Lee, have uh, processes in place. Most organizations, LSPs, uh, I mean, they have to deliver an output that's consistent. So there is repeatability in what they're doing. We all want to deliver good quality products to our customers. I mean, it's become a cliche that we all promise our customers, oh, we're providing the best quality. Right, but uh, obviously that's a whole different debate. Now, how do standards ensure that we do actually deliver good quality?
2: I would say that standards don't ensure that. um, But how well you you implement and apply the standard um, will have positive returns on your business or your service. Um, And it sort of relates back to that earlier question about, you know, just, just getting certified um it's it's not going to give you the the instant quality but the um the standards in themselves they give you the opportunity to constantly be evaluating your output and um you know and looking to uh to increase the quality so i think i think that's key is is sort of knowing your knowing your metrics knowing how how well your your processes are performing and um and and being able to to pinpoint or identify uh you know where you can improve
1: that's a good segue to my next question and uh for lsps that say oh we do all of that we provide good quality we have repeat uh, you know processes that are repeatable and so forth what do you say to them why should they get certified
2: well yeah you're right i've, I've kind of talked about the benefits of certification um but even if you choose not to get certified because of costs or whatever. I think um, having a structure in place for being compliant will will just give you a better um, understanding of your process interactions in your company. And as you scale up, um, you know, making sure there's no overlap, there's no waste. Um, and, you know, kind of like what I alluded to earlier, you know, even if your quality is great right now, um, that could change in a, in a second if you, you know, if you get some, you know, huge contract or, or a huge client, you have to hire new people, you have to, uh, they need to understand, you know, what they have to do, they have to train and how they're going to fit in. Um, and then in an RFP situation, um, I would say if a, if a customer wants certain metrics tracked, um, or specific quality information, it's a lot easier for you to answer that on the spot if you already have those processes in place. Um, and if if you don't, you know, if you have to sort of like start from scratch, you're looking at, you know, a period of implementation, uh, you know, nine months or more um, to give you your time to um, accumulate that data. So I, I think those are kind of uh, some of the main the main is having a certification
1: on hand uh, you know in the eyes of the customers are uh, two organizations are the same one one is certified and the other is not but mm-hmm. they're both doing the same thing in fact uh, you know the output is the same I, I've seen in certain I mean this is a whole different debate because in certain RFPs there's a requirement for you to be cert- uh, certified for a specific standard mm-hmm. um, But what do customers feel like when when they look at standards? Do they even know about standards?
2: Um, I mean, not all customers do. I think it really depends. Um, And then, well, you have people who might tell you that perception is everything. Um, So if I'm a customer and all things being equal, one LSP is certified and one is just compliant, I might opt to go for um, the certified one. But, um, but I'm not a client, so <laughs> I work I work on the LSP side. So I think my advice is that if you know you're compliant to a standard, but for some reason you're not certified, maybe the cost is prohibitive or you don't have the resources, then first of all, pr- prove you're compliant by providing your SOPs or your quality metrics and so forth. And then find something else that sets you apart, like find something that differentiates you uh, just to give you a little edge.
1: Uh, Let's talk about those LSPs that uh, are interested in getting certified, uh, for example, for something like ISO 17100, uh, but they don't know where to go and where to get started. One thing that's prohibitive to people is this this phobia from cost. Uh, What Mm -hmm. is the cost of getting certified in terms of dollars and time? How much overhead should an LSP budget to get certified and, main, and maintain that status on top of what they do and, and their day to day operations?
2: Well, this is one of the criticisms of ISO um, that there is a cost associated uh, with getting certified. Um, you have to pay for your copy of the standard. You can't just download it. There's an annual fee and then there's the cost of the audits, um, but the actual bottom line number depends on the size of your LSP. It depends on the size of your organization Um, because larger companies are going to require more time uh, to perform a gap analysis. They're going to need lengthier audits. Um, You have to cover auditor travel expenses, if any. Um, So it really could range anywhere from a few thousand dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. Um, On the flip side, Think you could ask yourself, what's the cost of not being certified? Um, you know, are you losing out on customers to another certified competitor? Um, are there inefficiencies in your processes that could be, you know, costing you time and money? Um, there's a lot to consider. So, you kind of just have to do the pros and cons. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's one thing that is a shame is, is sometimes the cost is prohibitive uh, for, for smaller companies.
1: How do you see, Lee, the the future of of standards in our industry? Uh, What areas of practice would you like to see standardized both in terms of process and practice?
2: in the the last publication of 9001 uh, we saw some big changes already um, so they removed the requirement for preventive action um, and they moved more towards like a, a risk-based model um, and so that one is it's subject to review every five years and they opted to keep it the same um, the last time so so i don't think we're we're going to see any uh big changes to that um you know until uh the next um the next review cycle, um, but for 17100, for instance, I, I know this is specific. I don't know if you're asking generally, but um, I think there's there's something that LSPs struggle with, um, and it's the 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 training requirements for linguists. Um, so I'd like to see some clarification around that. Perhaps um, the requ- the requirement is um, I think it's section 3. that the the TSP shall have a process in place for documenting ongoing training of linguists Um, but you so if you're using freelancers you can't actually require a freelancer to take your training Um, of course it's in their best interest if they want to work with you um, but you can't uh, you can't actually require it, um, so it, it puts a, a, a burden on linguists or, you know, a linguist might decide, you know, if, if company A, you know, has all this required training and company B doesn't, then maybe I'm going to go to company B. Um, but I think, you um, the standard it allows for linguists to self-report their training, which I think is great, Um, but it'd be great if we had some sort of like training exchange or accept the training from other companies as valid, um, you know, professional development, show sort of mutual cooperation because I think that as LSPs, we're all kind of maybe using the same pool of linguists. Um, You know, a lot of linguists are freelance from multiple agencies. So, and then one of the tenets of ISO is for the company to get the um, feedback of interested parties, um, and linguists are interested parties. Um, so I, I'm always going to advocate on the side of linguists because um, I used to be one. Uh, they're the the backbone of our industry. Um, so you know we want to be careful if we just sort of keep cutting rates and require uh, more throughput and more um you know more words per hour um you know who's going to want to be a translator anymore
1: do you think that standards can also be prohibitive uh, for business because now you don't have access to a certain pool of people or they don't want to work with you or even some customers may ask you to do things that may fall outside the standard how do you deal with those situations
2: it, it's true we do get um, some request to do things that uh would go against best practice and so you have to inform the customer of that you have to educate them because i don't think they always know about best practices in the language industry Um, but you know ultimately if you if the customer wants something a specific way then our goal is to um you know is to please the customer in, in essence so i think you can implement something even if it deviates from the standard as long as you're you make sure you're mitigating risk that's all you need to do just make just make a a risk analysis and make sure that that risks are mitigated and you can you can deviate if you need
1: to as we reach the end of this conversation lee uh, can you please share a few words of advice to lsp executives thinking of achieving certification for their organizations what would you like to tell them where should they start
2: the the c-level uh people i think that um it all it all starts with you Uh, your attitude, your personal attitude towards uh, an ISO standard or quality is going to determine the company's attitude towards it. Um, So if you can garner enthusiasm, um, which is probably easier, said than done. How <laughs> do you get really hyped up about an ISO standard, right? right? Uh, but maintain at least maintain a positive outlook towards it um, and just view it as a tool and not a burden. Um, and then people in your organization will too. Um, I just think in the long run that works wonders um for change management and, and when it comes to implementation um and then celebrate your your victories together and um if you if you fall short uh then focus on improvement
1: once again lee uh, it was an amazing conversation and i learned so much about standards although my own company is certified for iso 17 100 but you know, nice. your perspective is much, much better. I learned so much. I would like to invite you to cover another related topic in the quality space in the future. And this podcast, of course, remains open uh, to you as a platform to share this wisdom with our industry. And well, thank uh, with you. That, I
2: appreciate that. <laughs> of
1: course, uh, and, and with that, Lee, I want to thank you for your time and for sharing your perspective today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, like I said, it's it's uh, few and far between are the the opportunities to talk about quality, but you know, quality is such an integral part of our of our industry. So thanks a lot.
1: Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. It is no secret that the translation and localization industry is a fragmented space. No two translation companies implement the exact same processes to deliver their services. Fragmentation is in fact even favored and promoted as a form of differentiation. I think that is flawed logic, in the sense that our industry doesn't benefit from standards which are supposed to bring consistency in service delivery but also give the translation buyers the confidence that certain processes and tasks are followed in the creation of the translation product and those processes have been audited by an independent organization. While the seal of certification of standards body such as ISO does bring some degree of confidence, at the end it is up to the service delivery organization to uphold all the requirements and specifications mandated by a standard such as the ISO 17100. Our industry is in need of significant shifts in terms of standardization of our business processes and service delivery without reinventing the wheel. I am hopeful that language service companies see the benefits of standards and benefit the industry and pursue certification to reduce duplication of effort, confusion on the client side and to attract the right talent for delivery of our services. That is it for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lee Turgut. She is a seasoned language industry quality systems veteran, and she knows this space really well. I hope you were able to find at least one key takeaway in the standards and compliance area that you could apply to your own business. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice, and give us a five-star rating for this episode. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.